Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I have an array of experts around me to discuss the topic for the day, which is women in the Old Testament. And we plan to take a look at some of the um, issues tied to the role of women uh, in Scripture and, and focus on the Old Testament to do that. So I have Brian Webster, who teaches here in Old Testament, Sandy Glan, who just Teaches everywhere, right? Media I mean, arts. <laughs> media arts, but she—that's her official assignment. But she, she is a Jill of all trades. Can I? Can I, I say get that? borrowed a time? Okay, some all some right. Departments. Yeah. And then Dorian Cooper Cox, who also teaches in Old Testament. So we've got two Old Testament experts who who can talk to us in English or in Hebrew, okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. with a touch of Aramaic and who knows what else. And then Sandy and I are just regular folks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, and Sandy has just written a book with the absolutely neutral title of Vindicating Vixens. There you go. I'm the general editor, so I'm going to blame it on 16 authors. Okay, so (laughs) you're the, so you, it's a collection of essays? Yes. Okay, all right. And you, did you go through and highlight uh, like uh, different characters in scripture and that kind of theme? Or was it themes or was it a mix? We were looking at women who were wrongly vilified, marginalized, or sexualized. Mm -hmm. Um, We went through the women in Jesus' genealogy. And then we went back and did a whole survey of Old and New Testament. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. And I think there's a chapel up that you all did at one point there to kind is. of summarize. Mm-hmm. So if people go to voice.dds.edu, you can you can find that, and it probably has the same non-provocative title. Right, it so, does. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. So very good. So let's let's talk about this. Um, uh, Dorian, I'm going to start with you. You you said yesterday you were in class teaching on this, and you were introducing uh, a theme that you think is is tied to the role of women in the Old Testament, and, and just share with us what you were sharing with the class. Well, I um, offered to them as a prime hermeneutical principle mm. that <laughs> okay. uh, God is good. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, we began by looking at Psalm 118, verse 1, mm-hmm. Hodula Adonai Kitov ki le'olam chasto. Oh, that's so clear to me, I can hardly exactly. stand it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a phrase that's repeated mm-hmm. a number of times. Uh-huh. And, um, and it translates as? It translates as, give thanks to the Lord, mm-hmm. because He's good. Mm-hmm. His loyal love endures forever. Mm-hmm. And... And the psalmist calls on various groups of people to um, reply to an, antiphonally mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. And you, as you begin to realize, oh, look, throughout, from start to finish, uh, the writers of Scripture, the people in the books of the Bible, the, the, the characters that they're talking about, they are convinced of the goodness of God and talk about it in many ways. Um, and I've begun to think that it, uh, as bad as it is, when we fail to, tr- when I let me say it in a better way, if we 
trust people who are untrustworthy. Mm -hmm. That's really bad. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of bad things that happen when you trust a person who doesn't deserve to be trusted. But I begin to think that we may be in as much trouble when we fail to trust people who are trustworthy. Mm -hmm. If we fail to trust a God who is trustworthy, we're the losers. Mm -hmm. And we see this in everyday life when, a, let's say, a 12 or 13-year-old who Mm -hmm. actually has well-meaning good parents and doesn't trust those parents, but begins to trust his or her peers at school Mm -hmm. more than... The, the good parents. This is dangerous. It's really mm. bad. And you can see it in all sorts of relationships. As soon as you put on, I'm, the, I'm suspicious of you, mm-hmm. and start interpreting people's actions, words, uh, in, in this, you must be wrong, I'm, I'm suspicious of you, it's very possible to take take almost anything and and turn it as a grounds for accusation because you've become so convinced that the other person is not dealing with you honestly or faithfully and you be, and it erodes the the relationship very quickly. Okay, so let's connect this to the theme that we have, which is the the role of women in the Old Testament. How do you see, um, how do you see the idea that God is good connecting to that theme? Well, for starters, what comes immediately to mind is that um, we we read that a verse that says, "He who spared not his own son, mm-hmm. but delivered him up." For us all, mm-hmm. how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Mm-hmm. And we read, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. There's not a better, there's not a better option somewhere else. If if God loved women enough to send His only Son to die for them, He cares about them. Does that mean that? Everyone else does all the time. No, yeah. it doesn't. But he cares about women, and I have found over the years when I'm reading a, a section of scripture that, on the surface of it, might seem to present God in a negative light. It seems like I'm not sure this reflects well on God. I found what pays is to sit and look at it some more. I see this at home sometimes. You know, I walk in the house. Well, why did Chuck leave his stuff there? <laughs> you know, Chuck's your husband. Chuck is my husband. Okay, okay. Yeah, Chuck is my husband. Okay. And so, oh, how come? How come he left the truck in the driveway? I have groceries to unload. <laughs> how inconsiderate! Mm-hmm. If I ever think that about him, I quickly learn if I'm. If I watch, I quickly learn he wasn't being inconsiderate. I misinterpreted what he did mm-hmm. because it's not his nature to be inconsiderate toward me. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, he doesn't have a track record of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it says something about me. And if I let that, it could 
grow and grow and grow until he's never going to do anything right mm -hmm. because I've become the person who's suspicious of him. So, um, so in that, Christ died for women, and all of the people through all the people in the in the Old Testament were looking forward to what God was going to do for them. And the people in the New Testament are looking back and seeing all that God is doing for them and moving forward and getting to know him better. I have I've just decided, well, if it if it looks like there's a spot where it might seem like God is not concerned about women, I need to examine it a bit longer. Hmm. Find more out, find out more about the culture. Find out the trajectory of this material. Mm -hmm. Let me look at this longer. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, Brian, you you mm -hmm. teach Hebrew and Old Testament here as well. As you think about the role of women in the Old Testament, um, what do what do you what do you see, and what do you think people should be conscious of as they as as we think in general about this theme? Well, I mean. When we think generally about women in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. we have to acknowledge that the Old Testament is mostly about the nation of Israel as represented by the king and their covenant fidelity or lack thereof. So there's all sorts of things about daily life, including what is the role of women in uh -huh. society that just doesn't get a lot of page time. Okay. Um, so we don't want to ask the text to do something that it's not Intended trying to do. to do. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, can I go to Proverbs 31 now? Yeah, you, can, <laughs> you can go to Proverbs 31 whenever you want. <clears throat> okay. So um, Proverbs 31 is a, you know, a famous chapter for looking at the role of women, and I feel pretty confident that's been mistranslated in any English translation that you've ever read, and I think it matters. Okay. Well, let, let me, so, before you, before you dive, before, before we, I've got, I've got people, so I'm going to leave them hanging, all right? Before you go, I, I think that one of the things that's at the core of Sandy's uh, treatment of the book that she edited is a similar kind of concern, that women have been misunderstood and the way in which women are portrayed in scripture is misunderstood. So I think before we go directly to to Proverbs 31, let's sit back and ask that question a second, which is and I, and one of the things that you talk about is the cultural role. The fact is that scripture steps into a culture that is obviously pretty well established and yet at the same time does things to challenge some of the way things operate in that culture. So let's talk about that a little bit. What is it what is, it, what is it that Scripture assumes, because that's the way the world is, and how does Scripture help us address that, and then we can eventually turn our attention to how Proverbs 31 steps into that space? Um, it's a complex try, Yeah, I'm trying to sure, be sure I understand the question. So let me again speak broadly. Uh -huh. You know, we would look in the laws of the book of books of Moses and say there's a fair amount of overlap with surrounding cultures. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we would see there's differences, mm -hmm. and we can see different value placed on people. So one of one of those things is the Code of Hammurabi mm -hmm. is going to distinguish people. The Babylonian Code. Yeah, Babylonian Code. It's okay. going to distinguish a people according to class. Mm -hmm. And when we see uh, the laws of Moses talk about people, there's no distinction according to class. Mm -hmm. And often, you will even have laws that use as their example the person that would be considered the farthest down the rung just to... Uh, push the point that mm -hmm. we're all uh, level mm -hmm. here. 
Um, so that doesn't mean that we uh, see extra laws about women in particular, but that, that idea that we're treating everyone equally is a sharp contrast to uh, So when we see law. a phrase in Scripture that says something like, God is not a respecter of persons, and you can misread that in terms of, well, God doesn't care about anybody. <laughs> that's a disrespect. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Not, that's exactly the opposite of what it's actually getting at, isn't it? In, in, in terms of, of the idea that God is not respect means that he, he sees everyone at the, at the same. They all The justice is supposed to, and the way in which we treat people is supposed to be the same, that the scales aren't imbalanced on the basis of class or anything like that. Right, which is why Moses is not going to be able to enter the promised land. It's why David is challenged by the prophets. So you have the big national leaders, and they also suffer. They're not exempt, right? Right. So the classic way of saying that is, is the law king or is the king law? Uh-huh. And the king is not law mm-hmm. in Israel. The king is law in all the surrounding cultures, mm-hmm. but the king is not law in Israel. Which is an important idea because it, 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 it not only does it level out everyone, but you also see this ability within Israel to be, oh, I, say, I like to say it is self-critical about the way in which life is taking place in the nation. It can look at itself and go, we are not measuring up to what God has set before us in terms of how we ought to be living. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so um, I'm, I'm coming back to Proverbs 31. I'm keeping, I'm keeping yeah. it out there. Um, but uh, Sandy, let me ask you, um, so, so as you think about these themes and what we've already covered, and particularly as you think about the, the book that you edited, how does it step into the space? What are, what are, what are some of the misconceptions that, that people have about the way women are handled in the Old Testament or in Scripture I, yeah, in general? I think a key misconception with Old and New Testament is wrongly assuming that the culture is inspired mm-hmm. rather than that the instructions given to a people in a culture are inspired. And so sometimes we also think that there should be a one-to-one parallel to our culture mm-hmm. for these instructions, mm-hmm. and, and then it seems pretty strange, mm-hmm. right? like laws about menstruation that mm-hmm. we don't follow in the church today, mm-hmm. the, the law has passed away. Um, but we can look at this patriarchal culture and think that God favors men, for mm-hmm. example, instead of that patriarchy has its own problems mm-hmm. and its own injustices. It's not that God favors patriarchy. It's that he called the patriarchs out mm-hmm. in a patriarchal culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's a big part of it. Um, but also there is a tendency to um, – well, Bathsheba is a great example of sexualizing, mm-hmm. of assuming that uh, Eve is a seductress, which is a wrong mm-hmm. assumption, and then to extrapolate on Eve, therefore women are seductresses, mm-hmm. therefore misreading some of those stories in terms of Tamar, in terms of Bathsheba. So, and, and, and this is actually an important theme. Uh, even though there are certain texts that talk about certain kind of women, being seductresses, right. that doesn't allow us to make the generalization that, that every woman should be viewed through correct. that lens, right. and and so so you run up against um, really reading scripture with a kind of sensitivity that is aware of of those kinds of distinctions of those kinds of nuances. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm going to come back to the Bathsheba um, mention uh, reference because I think. That I have heard and you have heard, I know we've talked about this, messages in which 
in which she is given a level of blame and responsibility for what's going on that you think doesn't Wrong entirely so, yeah. reflect, mm-hmm. uh, reflect the text. Yeah. So, so we'll come back. So we, so we're just, we're okay. just laying the table here for the passages <laughs> that we want to talk about. So you've got Proverbs thirty-one. We've got Bathsheba from you, Dorian. Do you have any example you want to put forward as something that we want to talk about down the road? I even let you think about that for a while. I'll think about that for a while. Uh, okay. All right. So now let's deliver on Proverbs thirty-one. So mm-hmm. what's going on with Proverbs thirty-one? Okay. So. Um, Real broad statement, most proverbs in English are present tense, right? Okay. Stitch in time saves nine. We have very few curiosity killed the cat, past tense stuff. Okay. So all the mistranslations of Proverbs 31 describe this woman in the present tense. Okay. She is staying up late every night. She yeah, is she getting does. up every okay. morning. She's uh, conducting a tannery business. She has a real estate business going on. She's an exhausting on. woman. <laughs> right, yes. So much so, I mean, Tremper Longman uh, wrote, you know, in the response to the question, uh, uh, a woman of valor who can find uh-huh. no one, she doesn't exist. Right? <laughs> um, and the thing is, uh, if, when you look through the Hebrew, you realize that almost all of these forms have to be past tense. Mm-hmm. And there are four that could go either way. Uh-huh. And when you go back through and you translate and you read it all past tense, and then you arrive at the end of the chapter where mm-hmm. her grown children mm-hmm. have risen up and blessed her, you realize this is not her day planner. Uh-huh. This is a retrospective on a woman's life. It's a Lifetime Achievement Award. Okay. It's dad talking to the sons. This is what your mom's been like. And this is what over you should... Over the years. And over the years, And she's yes. doing all these things all at once. Right, right. Okay. So there was... There was the time when there was kind of a drought and we didn't have enough water for all the cows. We had to kill some. And that's when your mom thought to make the belts, uh-huh. right? Her tannery. Okay. She didn't do that all her life. She didn't uh-huh. stay up late. Every, she did what was needed when it came along. Um, and so it's, it can be read as this pressure on women to do everything all the time. And it's impossible Martha on Stewart. the one hand. <laughs> And it's not addressed to women. Uh-huh. This is addressed to men to make sure that you don't pursue the vanity of mere outward beauty and make sure that you look at character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, it's interesting. That passage, when it's introduced, is, isn't addressed to the son. And it, it really is about, um, in some ways, appreciating a certain kind of woman. We're back to the observation mm-hmm. made earlier that there are types of women in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... And this is someone who's, who's, if I can say this way, whose career, lifetime achievement, mm-hmm. uh, is worthy of recollection mm-hmm. and has, has produced in that lifetime of achievement um, something worth emulating and appreciating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but it is interesting to go through this list of this chapter and see everything this woman is doing. Or has done. Has done. Has, has done. Because if, exactly. if she had That's 40 right. years to do it, okay. it's a little different yeah, yeah, yeah. than okay. is doing that. Okay, but she, it is, the, <laughs> the scope of what she has done is, is very, very significant. It, it is, but I, I don't think we should view it as a template for what everyone should do. Uh-huh. I mean, this is these are examples, you know. Mm-hmm. So when we look, son, when we look at your mom and her good qualities, we can look back and she's done all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether any particular woman did each of the things on those lists. Well, in other words, rather than thinking about, 
I need to check all 17 of these boxes. <laughs> I got to make them. I got to get spices. I got to buy real estate. Right. You yeah. know, that, that, that no, the, 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 as you said earlier, the point is, as there was need, she was wise enough and sensitive enough to step mm-hmm. in and do and supply what was necessary in order to meet that need. And nobody yeah. stopped her from doing all of those things. Ooh. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. She's, out, yeah. She's out there engaged in the yeah. marketplace. She's making decisions about the home. Economics. She's considered yeah. trustworthy. And, uh, and so her children praise her. And, and yeah. uh, I also think it's important in terms of the translation, a woman who fears the Lord makes herself praiseworthy, mm-hmm. right? Oh, now, if her, if her dud of a husband isn't smart enough to praise her, mm-hmm. she's still praiseworthy, uh-huh. right? Whether or not she receives the praise. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, this goes back to the idea, uh, there are several ideas here. I mean, God is good. God knows. Um, she, uh, uh, her, her her honor and her worth come from being faithful before God, uh, and that 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 isn't to let men off the hook by any means. In fact, the whole point of the proverb is to say you should really appreciate what this represents. Yeah. And are there any qualities in here that we wouldn't hope men would have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, oh, come on, don't go there. Now we got to apply it all over again. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, so it's a it's a significant text, and and uh, and so if you read it that way, um, uh, uh, summarizes for us uh, kind of what that represents, what the message should look like coming out of this text. Um, let me come at that sideways a little bit, okay. if you don't mind. I had had a conversation with a rabbi, um, reform rabbi. So this is a female rabbi, and. Because uh, I'd presented a paper on this at a Jewish conference, and she said, you, know, you, you understand in Judaism, every Sabbath we have the blessing and we read Proverbs 31. Mm-hmm. I said, well, yeah. And, she, and so she goes, well, now when I do funerals now, I always ask the daughter, do you want this read at your mom's funeral, or has she had it up to here? <laughs> With hearing the pressure about this thing. So she, you know, she's engaging that in a sensitive way. But the, the point of that is to say Proverbs 31 can feel like such pressure. Mm-hmm. And instead, it needs to be viewed as this is a pointer. It's, it's aiming me in the right direction. It is an ideal. Right, but it's aiming me in the right direction. Uh, whether it's uh, a woman trying to be that way, or whether it's a man having a good sense of what to value in a woman, mm-hmm. or the fact that even as men, we should be following the good example of this woman. How do you think the uh, chapter functions as uh, an ending for the book of Proverbs as a whole? Well, you know, we we start or near the beginning of Proverbs, uh, wisdom is personified as a woman. So one way I've heard that addressed is I, I told you about Lady Woman, or sorry. Lady Wisdom. <laughs> Lady Wisdom. And now at the end of the book, it's I want you to marry her, mm-hmm. right? So on the one, the Lady Wisdom is a non-real uh, ideal, but he's saying actual women can embody these qualities, and that's what you should look for. So. Do you know if anybody's ever taken individual Proverbs, uh, advice, positive or negative. I'm thinking of the, what comes to mind is the sluggard thinks there's says there's a lion in the street, yeah. and so he doesn't go out. 
we got to head to a break. Okay. So we're, we're doing a great job of just putting out these teasers and letting people, you know, wait for the answer. But uh, uh, we, what I'm enjoying is the conversation of thinking through how women are portrayed in the Old Testament and perhaps in a little different ways than we think and in ways that challenge all of us about the way in which we live. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. But I guess the next question is, uh, aren't there certain characteristics that this woman is displaying that we see in, uh, throughout the Proverbs, or at least at, at different points in the book? Uh, yes, I mean I don't know if anybody's written an article on this, but uh, certainly many of the characteristics that are showing up in Proverbs 31 have been visited uh, earlier. Um, certainly, the the proverbs say more than just what's in here, and mm -hmm. some of those proverbs have uh, examples that are negative. You know, this would not be a right. woman of quality. Right. Um, so she would be the opposite of the negative. Yeah, in fact, before we get <laughs> so. to Lady Wisdom, we've got a whole section almost that deals with the woman who is the temptress who should not be followed, etc. So that Lady Folly, she yeah. sometimes Lady Folly. Called, so yeah. yeah. So right. so um, so and, we, and then there's the woman. That, I mean, it's in the proverb that yeah. it's better to be outside in a dripping corner of a, of a house than to be inside with the, you know, the woman who is just always henpecking, et cetera, and so yeah, forth. So yeah. there are examples of negative. Yeah, I, I hate to bring this up because it's an extra <laughs> biblical example, but there's a passage in Sirach uh, that, that I have often read in class to talk about backgrounds and that kind of thing. Uh, I, I use it to fill in the background of John 4, for example, and the disciples shock about Jesus talking to a woman. And I'm thinking, here's a portrait of the way Women are sometimes generalized in the extra biblical materials that tell you, and, you know, and one of the lines that is one of my favorite, it, it's worse having a, a woman who is, who is uh, a nagging woman, that kind of thing, is worse than being an old man trying to climb up a sandy hill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you go, That's an image. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Works, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. So, um, so I mean, so there, we do have this thing going on culturally around the role of men and women that that we're constantly uh, playing with up against the scripture. Well, let's go, we've got some other examples that we want to talk about and take the time to talk about. So I'm going to start with Bathsheba. Okay, so Sandy, uh, let's talk about the way in which um, we sometimes hear this passage preached. And talk about how perhaps it ought to be handled. So Matt, Bathsheba is a Me Too story. Okay. Um, but it's often treated as an affair mm -hmm. where you have two consensual adults. And even it's sometimes treated like she is going to the palace and setting out to seduce David. Mm -hmm. And if you just use some principles of biblical interpretation, the mm -hmm. basic ones, like some word studies, like David sent for her. He sent men for her. 
Um, she is washing without even meaning she's bathing. Like mm-hmm. She could have just been washing her hands. Like we are reading into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is instead of us seeing the argument of the book, which is David has gone from this shepherd boy whom God has raised up, and now he's abusing power. Mm-hmm. Like we should all take that sort of as a lesson and a warning. Mm-hmm. But instead, we're blaming the person who brought down the power. So we've deflected the yes, message from exactly. the person on whom it's focused yeah. and yeah. created a situation that, I'm, I'm going to say it this way, that almost puts David in a position where you go, well, maybe he isn't as guilty as we totally thought. totally puts him there, yeah. And, 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 yeah. and, and the... And the uh, the, the subversion of what that represents in terms of the message of the scripture is is a problem because David is very very responsible for what it is that he's done. Not only what he did with Bathsheba, but what he did with her husband, Uriah, etc. Right. You know, and so, so she grieved. Right, kind of jump over that. Yeah. Um. And but also uh, what that what that does to men and women in relationship mm-hmm. because then it becomes a warning. You know, man just. There are plenty of warnings, like you were mentioning. Like there mm-hmm. are women like that in the mm-hmm. world. This just isn't one of them. And right. so, as you said, yeah, we deflect over what we should be. We should be identifying with David mm-hmm. and realizing I could fall. I, you know, I could abuse power. Now we know more about power differentials in mm-hmm. these sort of sexual relationships, and we know that if you're, you know, if you have a lot of power and you're with a powerless person, even if it's consensual, it's not the same thing. Yeah, and and the, and the hard thing is, is that when you generalize that and make it into a Generalized principle. That is the way we might traditionally handle Bathsheba in a text like this. the The problem becomes you problematize all your relationships with other women, and exactly. and in in the process you cut yourself off from a part of the body of Christ that is that that you're supposed to be <laughs> you're supposed to be brothers and sisters. Right. So. Um, it's so, bad for men and it's bad for women. Yeah. It's bad for both. We should okay. be partnering in healthy brother and sister relationships. Uh, and, and part of that means uh, re- respecting the fact that women can be like go back to the Proverbs. Can be like the Proverbs yeah. thirty-one woman with whom I can have a good, meaningful, uh, deep relationship, even if she's she's not my wife. But it doesn't have to be uh, sexualized or romanticized or anything like that. It's just a good human relationship. That exactly. you're pursuing, exactly. Okay, so that's that was a, that was a quick dip uh, and look at, at the Bathsheba. <laughs> that, was, that was quick enough. Uh, uh, let's take on Ruth, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you said you're getting ready to give a message on Ruth. So, so what are you going to tell us about Ruth? Um, well, I'm going to fo- be focused on Ruth chapter one uh, in the chapel that's coming up, but we're going to kind of look at Naomi and Ruth throughout the book, mm-hmm. and uh, to try and focus for the for the moment, um, maybe it'd be interesting to deal with the phrase "a strong woman." Okay, because that phrase "a strong woman" can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We're not thinking Amazons, are we? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> not talking about Wonder Woman. Okay. <laughs> Uh, sometimes the the meaning is uh, a good wholesome thing where where if you said strong man or strong woman just strong person that mm-hmm. that's all we mean somebody who has integrity and isn't going to back down from issues that uh, needs to be backed down from. I said that wrong, but yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. I know. What you mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then sometimes a strong woman is is used uh, for someone who isn't actually going to listen or be responsive and just as demanding, right? So when we look at Ruth in chapter one, 
she puts her foot down with Naomi, mm-hmm. and she is a strong woman. Mm-hmm. However, when we look at the rest of the book, she is also strong enough to be submissive. Mm-hmm. So in chapter two, she's taking the initiative because Naomi is depressed, but she still is, please, shouldn't I? I ought to go out there. Sure, go. I mean, Naomi doesn't have any words or strength or effort. She goes out there, and and Boaz's supervisor won't let her initially glean. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir, I'll wait until the boss comes. Mm -hmm. And then Boaz gives her permission, and she's overwhelmed. She's not there. Look, I have the right to be here and to glean the harvest corners. No No sense of entitlement. (laughs) No sense of entitlement. In in chapter three, when we've had enough time that Naomi's coming out of her depression, she's got lots of energy, and she gives all these instructions to Ruth. All the things that you are saying, I will do. Yes, ma'am. Right? And then the narrator tells us, she went and everything she she did. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Boaz gives her instructions at the threshing floor. And yes, sir. And she she does them. Um, And it's not because she's weak. And it's not because uh, she's subservient. But because her the strength that shows up in chapter one is when she says, look, your people are my people. Your God is my God. I can't back down on that. Right? That is the thing that, that drives. Um, so she is strong, but she, she has strength enough to serve Naomi, and she has strength enough to respect the elders of the she, town. She has enough strength of character and enough strength of identity to, to know what, uh, what, her, what her sense and what her calling is and to be responsive in a way that actually benefits the people around her. Is that is that kind of where we're at in the book? Yeah, and you know, and, and even for her, um, we can track this with the words that she uses to describe herself. She's really not confident of her place in society at mm-hmm. all. It's it's not that she knows her identity so much, but she knows God's identity, mm-hmm. and she she can rest there and find her strength there, and then it, it shows up in the text. Great. And Boaz acts as the character reference for her on on two occasions, and mm-hmm. then the. Then the neighbor ladies do as well. You know, as they they tell they tell uh, Naomi, "Look, your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is better than ten sons." <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, uh, or seven sons. Sorry, seven. Yeah, seven, yeah, seven sons. The perfect number. <laughs> anyway, but and she when she shows up, she at the threshing floor. She's there. With a proposal of marriage that goes beyond anything that Boaz expected of her, and you know, he tells her, "Oh, you could have married another man, younger or older. And you could have had your choice, but you're doing." He could see that she, he, she was doing what she was doing as a means of benefiting Naomi. Which, which is going beyond what's required. So they both do, both Ruth and Boaz, go beyond what is expected in the society for in terms of kindness and 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 uh, and loyalty to family and so on. It yeah. seems to me. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the in the flow of the book as a whole. In the, in the flow of the Bible as a whole, this becomes an important story because Ruth is a Gentile. Um, so uh, let, let's flesh that out a little bit. Uh, what's, what's going on at that level, and how does the Scripture play with that theme? Okay, so 
try and do the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> okay. Uh, take Boaz's supervisor, because mm-hmm. he doesn't let her initially uh, go out and glean. And, you know, there's kind of a political correctness response to that that would say, oh, he's just against foreigners. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Torah is a lot more, has a lot more information on how you handle foreigners in Israel. So there's lots of different kinds of foreigners. Mm-hmm. And one of those is a ger. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need, we don't have time yeah. to work through all of Torah. That's a whole that. other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <Another> podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but the synopsis of that is that particular kind of foreigner in Israel is fully protected by and fully obligated to all of the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. They are an adherent to the covenant. Mm-hmm. And that's because, see, when Boaz explains why she can do this, mm-hmm. right, it's, it's the thrust of the pericope. Yeah. <laughs> it's because she has taken refuge under the wings of Yahweh. It's all about covenant loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, and that goes back to her statement about, you know, my God, God your yeah, God. My, my, yeah, yeah, your God is my, my God. God. Yeah. The, the point is always covenant loyalty. Yeah. Um, but for Boaz's supervisor, how's, how's he going to be looking at her? Is do, do I view her mostly as a widow for these laws? Do I view her mostly as a, a gare? Because mm-hmm. she hasn't been here very long. Mm-hmm. When do gare get full access to the assembly? Mm-hmm. Third or fourth generation. Mm-hmm. It wow. takes time to verify loyalty to the covenant. It's just not you walk across the border and you get our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Moabites, it's tenth generation mm-hmm. because the under with Balaam's de- deception, he pulled the loyalty of the Israelites going through Moab away from the covenant, and so there's a bigger delay for when Moabites get in. So when this Moabite girl comes along, it's just put in our face over and over again. This is the Moabite who came back with, but the narrator says it too. Mm-hmm. Ruth the Moabites, like we already know that. Why is the narrator saying that? That's usually divine perspective. So you're supposed to hear Moabite. I mean, well, it's, yeah. you're supposed to hear question mark. Yeah, but, yeah. but since the narrator says it too, we're not supposed to condemn Boaz's supervisor. Right. It's just mm-hmm. we have a complex Torah legal question here, mm-hmm. and Boaz just blows by it and says, "Family, mm-hmm. Yahweh worshiper, family. I'm helping." Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So and and of course, scripture. You know, she shows up in the genealogy of uh, of Jesus down the road. So she this becomes a model for the way in which uh, the way in which someone who was originally on the outside has gotten has become incorporated within the people of God in part because of who their character is and what their response is, and, and in part to show that God is is. is no respecter of persons. I mean, he is open to anyone who is willing to be responsive to him and offers uh, great access through that through that means. Yeah, you know, sometimes we forget that it was a mixed company that came out of Egypt, mm-hmm. and that there are non-Israelites at the making of the covenant. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So, Interesting. Yeah. So the ger, the ger are covenant keepers. Uh-huh. They they are naturalized citizens. Uh-huh. Interesting. Well, I mean, there's like I said, there's a whole other topic wrapped up in that, and we've talked about that, so that'll be fun. Uh, um, okay, so let's turn our attention to. Uh, oh, wait, wait, I, I'm going to turn our attention to to Numbers five. Hola is waiting. Okay, all right. So, what what do you want to tell us about Numbers five? Well, be, occasionally people look at Numbers 5 and they think, isn't God being unfair to women here? Okay, so overview for us what Numbers 5 is about in case someone has no clue. 
Okay, well, one of the things in, in Numbers 5 has to do with the test of loyalty, fidelity for a woman who has been accused of infidelity. Her mm. husband, it says her husband has a spirit of jealousy. Okay. And so he's accusing her of, of, um, of having an affair of some sort. Mm-hmm. And the law provided for, uh, for a means of determining what had happened, and that involved uh, going to the uh, central sanctuary, talking to the priest, and having a test that involved, of all things, drinking water with, that had scrapings from the floor hmm. and waiting to see if um, it had an ill effect on her. And so people look at that, well, where's the test of jealousy for men and whatnot? Yeah. Okay. so. I, I, the passage always kind of bothered me in a way, but I didn't pay much attention to it until a student talked to me about it, mm-hmm. who, who was in a class where the professor was, was apologizing for this passage mm. and this test of fidelity and so on. And, and she was looking at it and saying, this is great. This is such a good law. She was so worked up about it. She wrote him an e- a long email that night, and and then she's telling me about it. I'm saying, oh well, tell me more. Okay, why do you think this is such a great passage? And she says, well, for one thing, it gives women access to the authorities. Mm-hmm. He can't just willy nilly kill her because she w- because he thinks she was unfaithful to him. Oh, tell me more. Well, this young woman had grown up in a society in which there were times when she, as a teenager, went to school and looked around and said, and could and could ask, where is so-and-so? And so-and-so was dead. Hmm. Her friend was gone simply because she had been accused of something. Hmm. Not Whether or not she did it, it was not the issue. She had been accused. And that was enough. And that was enough. And and the the student I was talking to said we all knew that that there would be no repercussions or very small if anybody even investigated hmm. this girl's death. So she looked at this as a law that protected women. And then I began to look at it thinking along those lines and I thought Oh, yeah. Look at all the false accusations that this would put a stop to. Because if any woman was righteous and hadn't had an affair and her husband accuses her of something, she could say, okay, put up or shut up, we're going to the priest. Hmm. He And he's not going to – men would not make – there would be no incentive for them to make – um, false accusations simply to get rid of a wife they didn't want because there were – there was recourse for her. There was protection. There was protection. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, I'm looking at this and thinking, okay, oh, water with a little bit of dust from the floor is not going to kill anyone. I watch, again, my husband occasionally pick up something from the floor and eat it just to spite me, you know. <laughs> just to, just to, oh, you can't do that. What do you mean I can't do this? Of course I can do that. <laughs> and, uh, or, you know, you know, they'll think, oh, you can't drink out of the milk bottle. Well, he doesn't anymore. But just, you know, women have all these rules. We're finding out far too much about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, okay, I'm thinking, 
she's not going to, nobody's going to die from a little bit of dust to, off the, the floor. If she dies, if she has ill effect from this, it's because God intervened directly to judge in this situation. Mm. There would be a righteous outcome to this test. Mm. Huh. It, it implies that God is concerned and he's going to be involved in any test of this sort. So, okay, this is a better chapter, a better law than we thought. Hmm, interesting. Uh, in view of the culture and in view of options that were available to people at the time and the assumptions that they were making, they, they're, they're not living in the 21st century. Hmm. They don't have the same setup that we do uh, for many, many things. Mm -hmm. And this, I think this, I think about this too in terms of of cultures around the world. And Don Richardson years and years ago wrote a, about the uh, a culture in Irian Jaya that he went to as a missionary, peace child. the Peace Child. Yeah. And that was eye opening, partly because he he describes the situation there. Uh, a religion that had no place for women at all. So there there wasn't even any hope for women offered in in the pagan religion mm -hmm. that was there. Nothing. And the suicide rate among women was enormous. But here's here's God bringing Israel out of Egypt and including everybody in worship and in access to teaching and to yeah, in, instruction and, and justice. Fascinating. Well, we've got one more example left. Hulda. Hulda. Uh, we got a little okay. more than two minutes, so go for it. So Hulda is a prophet, and it's been an awfully long time since anybody's heard the word, and Josiah becomes king when he's like six, and they're cleaning out the temple, and they find this scroll, mm -hmm. and they read it and go, Holy cow, we're in trouble. Um, and, you know, the, the king sa basically says, send for Hulda. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of other people he could have sent for, but she's the prophet that gets called in, and she basically does say, say the Lord. And, and she's not the only woman prophet. You've got, in fact, in every dispensation where there is a male prophet, mm -hmm. there's at least one woman prophet. Mm -hmm. There are more male prophets, but they're they're always a sampling. Deborah's an, another example where she she's a prophet, but she's also um, she's a judge, but she's mm -hmm. also a prophet. And only Samuel has that same um, status. And so anyway, Hulda is often just completely left out of our discussions of women in the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt like we needed to at least you know acknowledge so, her presence. So, so there's a Hall of Fame <laughs> yeah. here, and we're making there's sure there's a Hall of Fame. We want to make sure, sure Hulda she's gets in included. it in the Ring of Honor. Okay. Great. Well, this has been this has been fun uh, to, and and I think that what we see um, is the way in which uh, God has um, interacted with, elevated, and in some cases utilized women, uh, gifted them, and in many cases protected them, presented them as examples uh, for who uh, who we can all uh, reflect on and emulate, and we've uh, we've even had laws that show that there, there is. Uh, protection in the way things are said. We've taken a look at Proverbs 31 that says, here's an example woman. We had the model of wisdom here, and lo and behold, in chapter 31, here's someone whose life reflects this direction. We've got 
We've got Holda. We've even we've uh, we've tried to uh, reestablish Bathsheba's credibility. Um, so it's a variety of pictures, and what we see is is God uh, is good, and God is a, is someone who's very aware of of all of our roles. Ruth becomes an example of someone who, on the one hand, can be strong and stand for what she represents on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, when it's called upon for her to be responsive to others, she's also capable and secure enough to be able to do that. So um, I thank you all for, for helping us with this journey through the Old Testament. I hope this has been as fun for you as it has been for me. And uh, it, it's fun to bring in some people who uh, dig in the Old Testament on a regular basis and people who write about it. We hope we've vindicated the vixens and anyone else who, is, who has been offended. And we thank you for joining the table and hope you'll be back again with us soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.